Some of you aren't loving people you don't agree with. We love, that's what separates us from the world, is we love people, we look for ways to say, you know, like I'm, I'm not saying, well, you're just dumb because you're, you're, that's a foolish way of thinking, in my opinion, but this is, I view it as a life, right? And there's other things as well. One of those things um, is um, we're dealing with, and, and this is all coming back into this building a lasting family. We're wondering, how is this going to work in building a lasting family? You know, I said it here a few months ago, maybe now a year ago, that if you have a weenie or a boy and you don't, you're a girl. It's funny how that service people remember more than any other service <laughs> that I've preached. I, I think I should say it in every single message I preach, because then you'll remember it. But it's simple. I'm just a science guy. Any other science people... The the world wants you to think Christianity isn't based in science. It really is. It really is. I'm a science guy. It's isn't it funny how how everything is science, 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 science. It's not based in science at all. That's what they say. If you got a weenie, you're a male. If you don't, you're a female. That's biology. Well, I don't feel like that. Well, that's feelings. Well, I want to dress like a lady. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's your thing, but that doesn't make you a woman. I mean, but, but stop. Think of this for a moment. We've allowed clothing style. Do you know men wear kilts? Like they're wearing a dress. We've allowed, because I like a certain clothing style determined biology, it just doesn't work. I mean, just stop and consider how foolish some of it is, and how great Satan is at twisting our thought. Because I want to dress like my mom that makes me a woman. It doesn't. I mean, I don't like that style. But I'm, you know, that, that I'm not a man because I dress and I like the style of a man any more than another person is. So, so you have to, in this culture... You have to, one, if you're going to influence this culture and those questions come up, you have to very calmly bring it back to logical discussion and when there's no openness, step out of the conversation so that you can love the person. I, there is a reason I'm bringing this up. It's because too many people are getting into these conversations and they're not prepared, and they look foolish, and then they get angry and upset, and you completely destroy your influence. And if at all costs, never have these discussions online. Because they never turn out well. Never. Okay? How many saying, I'm hearing you, Pastor? Right? I love you, but I love Jesus more, and I don't want you taking him in as some stupid situation that the enemy is set up for him to look bad. We represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So in the family, these are discussions you need to have with your children, and they need to be logical, not just because I told you so. Because uh, whether it's discussion, and we're, we're going to do a creation series in the summer, and, and, and then I guess they're doing a field trip for parents to take their kids to the Creation Museum and Ark Encounter in the summer. And so if you want to do that, you need to talk to your children's pastor and, uh, and find out the details for that. Now, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7, and there's no greater place to bring your Bible than to church. 
Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does, not, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand... The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The storms that are, there are, there's an enormous storm attacking the family unit, and anything that's traditional, um, it's like it's, it's almost bad now, and any of the traditional values, one of the number one things I would hear when I was doing premarital counseling, and, you know, even five years ago was, uh, we don't want to hold to the traditional values. It was almost as if I didn't want anything to do with what traditional values were. And that's okay as long as you agree. But it's like just because it was the old way of doing things, it's like we threw it up. We live in a culture today where we don't fix anything. It's just an opportunity to buy something new. Oh, I spilt something on it. I guess I got to get a new shirt, right? My phone broke. Time to get a new phone. Instead of getting it repaired, doers overcome. Hearers only will not overcome. Just because you know what the truth is doesn't mean you're going to see or experience the truth. It's doers of the truth that overcome, not hearers. You do what you believe. You don't do what you know. You don't do what you know. Psalms, 1, Psalms 11 says, and I got a lot of scriptures today. Psalms 11 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in it. If the foundations are destroyed, what are the foundations of the earth? My daughters, uh, we, we lived in southwest Michigan. The beaches are like sugar sand. I mean, literally, imagine sugar a, as the beach. That's what it was like. And every Friday, my wife would take the girls, or not every Friday, but it seemed like every Friday I worked and they were at the beach. Oh, that whole thing was hard. Uh, you know, but they would go in the water, and, and it was, Lake Michigan is like bath water in the summer, not like Superior, right, uh, which will freeze you. Uh, the, the Lake Michigan was literally like bath waters, and the waves that would come in, it's way down in the southern part of Lake Michigan, would be like you could surf the waves. Uh, they would get that large. And, and so... Um, Heather would take the kids in there, and they'd go run in the water, and then they'd, they'd get washed in with the waves, and they'd run in the water. Well, what most people don't know, if you've not been around, is waves come in on an angle. So when you'd run out, the current takes you down south, and it would take you south. It always took you south. Before you knew it, you were 100 feet from where you started. And I think that's where we as a culture and people have come. And the church is really supposed to be a place where, because Heather would go out and say, hey, girls, come back come back here. They had no idea. They're just playing and having fun. And I think that's what we have to be is, hey, hey, we've kind of wandered down the, down the beach a little bit. We got to come back. We need to come back to those traditional ways that have proven again and again and again that they bring life, that they'll bring peace. Look at what it says in Jeremiah 6, 16. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths Ask for the good ways and walk in it, and you will find, what does it say? Rest for your mind, will, and emotions. 
You're going to find there's a lot of an anxiety. A lot of people are like, I'm feeling tired and worn out. And it's because we've opened the door to so many voices that have created anxiety and it's wearing us out. We have to come back to those trusted ways, those places where, where we know have been proven as believers, things we can stand on. So what is, um, you know, so people have, asked, people have asked me, like, what is your opinion on all of these things? I'm like, quite frankly, it really doesn't matter what my opinion is. It matters what the Word of God says. So I'm going to ask you this question. Am I going to base my life on what I think or what God thinks? I'm going to ask you that. Because a lot of times we read, this, we read our, God's word through the filter of our opinion. And we take out what we don't like and we keep what we like. And quite frankly, you can't do that. Because if you don't take all of it, none of it will work. Here's the thesis. In order for a relationship to work, we must let the one who designed them define them. If they define them, if God created them, he needs to define them. But we become very feeling-based rather than value-based. Well, I don't agree with this until you meet somebody and then that person changes your mind because you've not been value-based. It's not which this is what I believe and we're very feeling-based. So my feelings kind of dictate how I view an op- a, a, a cultural situation that's around me because I met someone, I really like them, so I'm going to change my mind about that based on feeling, not based on truth and what's lies. So am I going to base my beliefs on what I think or what God thinks? What am I going to base it on? I'm thinking what I think or what God thinks. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that appears right to be right, but in the end it leads to death. In our culture, we, 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 we're like, we should be able to do whatever's in our mind to do. Freedom, right? Whatever's in our mind to do. Well, that's great as long as your mind is the mind of Christ. But you don't have the mind of Christ it's going to be destruction again and again and again in our life. You know, John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. The original sin, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God says, God says this to Adam and Eve. You can eat of anything in the garden. You can have anything in the garden. There are no rules, just one rule, just one very rule. What is the rule? Don't eat of the tree in the middle, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve are like, that's so restrictive. <laughs> like, that's just kill. It's just too much, right? And the serpent comes, and he says, well, what did God say? He says, well, we can't eat of this tree in the garden. And, and they're like, he says, you know why he doesn't? Because you will be like him if you eat of it. They were already like him. They were already like him. The enemy is trying to deceive people to believe that God is holding back from them good and perfect gifts. That's not God's character. God has never given a command that will hurt you. In fact, he's given you commands that keep you from suffering. Everyone in here, at some point, you made a decision to come to Christ. You had to overcome the idea that if I come to Christ, I have to stop behaving a certain way, right? Because you thought, in order to be a Christian, I have to become a prune. 
I have to become boring. I have to, and the reality is, it's because in your mind, the enemy had convinced you that the commands God gave were for hindering you from having fun rather than letting you experience peace and joy and happiness like you'd never experienced before. They weren't there to hurt you. They weren't there to take your fun and joy. In fact, this is amazing to me. I've heard somebody, he, he, he says, yeah, if I got a Christian, then, it, then I got to behave a different, this just no fun. I won't have any fun anymore. And I said, it's interesting because I know a lot of Christians that have fun and we don't have to get drunk to do it. Isn't it crazy? Fun today is let's get intoxicated. I'm like, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. Right? That sounds like a lot of messed up. When we think, when we think God is holding out on us, we start to take matters into our own hand and discover we're only deeper in the poop. It's true. Let's say it one more time. When we think God is holding out on us, we start, when we think he's holding out on us, that he's not, we take matters in our own hands because then I'm going to have to generate what it is I want. I don't trust God to do it. And what we discover is we only get deeper in the poop. Deeper and not having joy, it just gets worse. And it, it can't be that we didn't give it to God. It's got to be that we're just doing it wrong. So I want to talk about um, our relationship with people. And we are Christians, we value everyone. If you think you're, you have the luxury of having something in your heart toward a person, you're wrong. My relationship with God is inseparable to my relationship with people that God has put into my life. You cannot say you have a relationship with God and then have bitterness or hatred toward people. There, there are two businessmen in our church in Michigan, and this I was very young in ministry at the time, and they, they were both in the church, and they went into business together, and it was this big, it was, it was a great business. They were making all kinds of money, and um, they got in a fight, and then we got in the middle of it. And they both came, and they wanted us to help them out with the situation. Basically, what they wanted us to do is to go with them into a meeting to tell the other person they were wrong. You would never do that, but they wanted to do that. And, and so we went, we're like, you know, this is really messed up. Well, and, and there was a German guy. One of the guys was a German guy, and uh, very German. And, and, and I'm German, too, so I'm not being, you know rude to one, you know, and do all anyway, anyway, he was very German, and, and uh, he said to me, I go, I think you got a spiritual problem, he goes, no, I've never been closer to the Lord than I am right now, and I said, you are a liar, yeah, you said that was blunt, I was in my 20s, I was even more blunt then, imagine, <laughs> do you know sometimes it requires bluntness, because the enemy had convinced them that he was somehow spiritually close to the Lord and he's in complete bitterness and hatred toward this other person. You cannot hate someone and say you're close to the Lord. It's a lie. Either the Bible's lying or you're lying. And I guess you're the one lying. <laughs> Look at what the scripture says. Look at it. John 13, 34 to 35. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By the way, remember all those people who don't agree with you in the political aspects, the social issues, all of those things? Remember all those people you don't like because they don't agree with you? Okay, God's called you to love them. 
Look what it says. You, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How do they know you're disciples? Because you don't drink, chew, and date girls who do? No. By your love for one another. That you love the people that most people aren't going to love. You love the people that oppose you. You love the people who persecute you. And there's someone coming to your mind right now. That's good. That's the Holy Spirit. Bringing him to your attention. Look at this, 1 John. It's an agape type of love. 1 John 2, 2, chapter 2 says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and says, and it's not referring to your family in the flesh, and it's not even referring to your, the, the, this former brother and sister is the human race. In the original text, it means human race. But anyone who hates a brother and sister is in darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because darkness has blinded them. So they make it, it makes you think you're in a great relationship with God and you don't have any. 1 John 3.10 says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. For all those who don't think there's a devil, apparently they did. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Notice it said love and not like. 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a Now you know where I got it from. I wasn't the one calling him a liar. The word of God was a witness against him. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must love the brother and sister. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment there is? Matthew 22, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in law? He replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. And then the first and great, that is the first greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we have to guard our hearts in the season of time we're in. Now, I, I hope every, if there's something I'm going to say today that I want everyone to remember, it's this, this part right here. Why is it that we love God, that when we love God, if we love God, that we have to love other people? All right, Jed, come up here for a moment. You're a walking billboard for Awana. That's why I'm having you come up here. That's great. <laughs> Because kids matter to God, yes. Okay, this is Jed. Say hi, Jed. Okay. Do you know why I love Jed? Now, I have, I, I have, but there's nothing with me and Jed. But let's say there is, that, that Jed did something that really bothered me, right? The reason God's telling me to love Jed and, the, and that I can't say I love God and not love Jed is because Jed is an expression of God. Where did, where did Jed come from? God. He is the thought and the mind of God. He literally came from God. When you look around this room, you are looking of, this is how vast God is. We all represent God just by, because we're in his image. We're a thought of his mind. So if you say you hate 
Jed, you're actually saying, I hate you, God. That's why you can't hate anyone and say, I don't hate God. I hate them. No, not really. I don't like him is saying, I don't like God. Do you love Jed? Oh, that was weak, Jed. You got to work on that. Thanks, Jed. Right? Here, here's the reality. We live in an offended culture. Everybody's got justified offense. Because they behaved a certain way or they, they did something, I can hate you now or I can be offended by you or I can be hurt by you, by your action. We call it justified offense. You say, well, how does this relate to my actual family? How this relates is if it literally, those justified uh, 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 offenses that we hold will eventually grow into our family. When we allow offense to come into our life, it starts to take over our life. And we become an offended culture to where now it's just natural to be offended by anything and everything that's done to us. Everything is an assault on me. I'm abused by every word. I went to work, my boss abused me because he what? Told you you needed to improve in an area? Does this make sense? Do you see it? That everyone is there to serve me, but I'm not there to serve anyone else. Everyone needs to live up to the standard of service that I have for them. But when it comes my time to live up to it, hey, we, we're great at underestimating my offenses and overestimating everyone else's. I didn't do it. I wasn't that bad. Do you know we're all a bunch of hypocrites? Turn to the person next to you and say, hi, hypocrite. You're saying, no, I already got marriage problems. I'm not getting in any deeper than I am right now. I'm just not going down that road. Nope. The reality is there isn't anyone in here, no one in this place that has the right to say, they did this to me and I've never done it to anyone else. The forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive. The reason why we don't forgive is we have a wrong understanding of forgiveness. It's not minimizing, it's not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. We're not saying that it didn't hurt, it wasn't bad. It's not, first of all, when we forgive, we're not saying it wasn't that bad or it wasn't, we're not minimizing it. Secondly, it's not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. You say, well, I thought it was. No, reconciliation takes two people. You can't make someone else say, I'm going to deal with it. You have to just be right in here and say, I am forgiving them. Whether they accept it or not, whether they deal with it or not, forgiveness is also not forgetting what happened. In fact, forgiveness, what makes it so incredible is I'm at peace with that person even though I know what they did. It's like, I know what they did, but I'm not going to let that ruin my relationship with them. Boy, there's some marriages in the house today that need a little bit of a little bit of help in that area. Well, I know what they did, and you probably always will, but is that how you want to live? At what point does a healthy marriage supersede what they did? Your desire for 
happiness in your relationship supersede, go past the offense. What is it you're actually trying to get out of it? The other thing of forgiveness is we don't think it's fair. We don't think it's fair. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. They, I, why should I forgive them? They're the ones who did it. There, there's a story. Peter comes to Jesus, and you can, you can read this in Matthew, and it's up there, and they can put the scripture up there as I tell it. Matthew comes, Lord, how many times should I forgive? And he says, he says, should I forgive seven times? And he says, no, 70 times seven, which is 490 times. If you put that in a day, that means you need to forgive them uh, at least one. They can, they can do, like you're going to forgive about 490 times, which is about every three minutes. So unless your spouse offends you less than three minutes, you have to forgive them. That's a pretty tough marriage. You maybe wanted to think about that before you got married, right? The, the reality is he's saying you need to forgive. And then he says it's like, a, it's like an owner who came back and he, to settle accounts. And, he, and Jesus tells this story and he says there was a man that owed him what would be the equivalent of $5 billion. And the man came to him and he says, you can't pay, okay, take his family, sell him into slavery, you're going to go to prison until the debt's paid off, you're not getting out. And the man begs to him, Lord, give me time to pay the debt, Lord, give me time to pay the debt. And, and the man says, okay, I will forgive you of your debt, you, you're never going to pay it, so rather than you having the stress on you to pay it, I'm just going to wipe it out as if it doesn't exist. I'm going to take the $5 billion off, off, your, off your name. How many say that would be great? right? But then the story goes on. He says, the man leaves the king being free, and he finds a servant of his that owes $10,000. Now, that's still a lot of money. It's a big deal. But it says he took his hand, and he put it in his neck, and he choked him, and he says, pay me now, or you're going to jail. The man says, give me time. Please have mercy on me. I'll pay you back. I just can't right now. Just give me time. And the man says, too bad. I'm going to throw you in jail and throws him in jail. Well, the servants that are watching said, can you believe he just did that? So they go back to the king and they said, this man who you forgave $5 billion for in the debt would not do the same for the one who only owed him $10,000. Well, the king was so upset that he brings the man back and he says, why didn't you do as I had done to you? Now, we all want it to be fair, but the reality is you don't want to live in the economy of fair. It may have been a big offense and debt owed to you, but your debt was greater. And the man, the king says, take Take the man and throw him into prison until he pays his debt. He is not leaving. Now, I know grace... We were saved by uh, believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And I don't claim to fully understand this, but this much I can tell you. In the scripture, when it talks about forgiveness, only forgiveness, when it talks about, every time it talks about forgiveness, it refers to the fact that once you've been forgiven, if you don't, if it doesn't stick, like you don't exercise forgiveness, the man went to prison. And in the Sermon on the Mount, after the Lord's Prayer, it says, they w it says, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. 
I don't, and I'm sitting here, how does that square up with grace if it's only believing your heart? But there's something there where I'm telling you, you better make sure that the accounts of your relationship are settled. That in your heart, you don't have aught against anyone. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Now, the last thing is you, you say, well, I don't think we can do it. I don't think I can forgive this person. Do you know what this person did to me? I don't think you knew. And, and if you're a person here and you're saying, there is no one, my life is great, nobody's offended me, nobody's done anything, praise the Lord. We don't like you very much. <laughs> because all the rest of us have been offended at some point, right? You say, well, I can't do it. Philippians says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. I'm going to give you three simple things that we do, the Bible tells us to do. First thing you do is you pray for them. Some of you are like, uh, I don't want to pray for them. Well, you start, and maybe this is your prayer. This is where it starts. Lord, John, amen. Maybe the next day it's, Lord, John, mm. <laughs> amen. You just add, before you know it, you'll start praying. When you start praying for him, it'll twist. My wife had a boss that she just did not like. When we first went into ministry, she was working at a bank, and she did not like this boss. In fact, the boss, she'd come home crying on some days why what the boss would tell her say to her and uh, and Heather was struggling because she hated this woman but the one thing I saw her do is she started praying for her and it, in a matter of a few months she started changing the way she talked about her based on her prayers praying is always where it starts if you're in that place and you were raped, you were abused, I understand. Don't let the enemy say, I can just, I'm justified to hate them. That is hor horrific. I have never had to go through it. I'm not here to give you my opinion on it because it wouldn't be fruitful. What I am here to tell you is the Bible says, pr start praying for them. The greatest healing will take place in your life when you start with prayer. Here's the second thing is you bless them. Luke 6 says, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. There was a, there was a guy, actually, in Michigan that we were in a board meeting, and as we were walking into the board meeting, the, the, the man said to me, he goes, uh, he goes, Pastor, or he goes, James, be ready, you're about to get ambushed. I'm like, what? And there is a guy and this German guy. And they were about to come at, they wanted me fired. And uh, his name was Bill. And Bill went in, ended up, what happened was they went in the board meeting and ended up look, they ended up looking like fools. Because they had nothing to substantiate what they were saying. In fact, it all looked, there were other board members who said, no, it's your, and so he left, Bill left the church because he's so mad. And one day, um, I'm sitting in my office and the Lord said something bad happened to Bill and I'm sitting in my office and the Lord said to me James go talk to Bill and I'm like get behind me Satan 
I, I, dude, I, hated, I hated Bill. And I'd hear a message like this, like you're hearing right now, and I would say to myself, I don't hate him. I don't hate him, but I knew I hated him. But I, I wasn't going to go talk to him. I wasn't. So I, I finally gave in to the Lord, and I went there. And Bill was in a pit outside of his house, like a literal, he dug a hole in the ground. Outside, he was doing something, he was in the hole. It was, it's just crazy. He's in the hole, and it was like the Lord was saying to me, you, you got to pull him out of the pit. But not that pit, the one he was in. Because in my mind, I'm saying, he got one that's coming to him. Now, I know none of you would think that, but you got to become a pastor to think those things. And a lot of reason, the reality is he did get what was coming to him. He reaped what he had sown. But I didn't go there to do that. And, and what came out of my mouth was completely from God. And literally, it, it was as if I was pulling him out and he became a friend at that moment. Imagine that enemy of yours, that person actually becoming a friend. You bless them. You go out of your way to bless that person who's persecuting you. And the last thing is you do good to them. You know, the scripture talks about putting burning coals on their head. And we think, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want them to suffer and torment them. You know what? Burning coals were not meant to torment. They were a gift because you could cook a meal. They were coals. So you, it took so long to get coals that people would take coals and they'd bring them to your house and give you coals so you could cook over it right away and not have to wait or find it. And actually get, putting burning coals was actually, it was a blessing. What they were saying was put a blessing upon their head. Do good for them. Find something good. Will you stand? Find something good to do in their life. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Is there, is there someone right now in your life like me you're trying to ignore that you hate? Those are strong words, Pastor. Those are accurate words. You're underestimating how you feel about them because you know it's wrong. But the reality, the truth of it is, it's true. You do not like them. And you pretty much, you, you hate them. This is the greatest message you will ever hear if it keeps you out of hell. Wouldn't you agree? So no matter how long you've been a believer, the reason we talk about this again and again is because in relationships, in your family, you have to deal with this issue. Are you going to let it go? So will you close your eyes? And if you're visiting, we're not going to do anything to you. We're just closing our eyes, so no distractions while we're doing it. Say this with me, Lord, judge my heart. If there's an attitude toward anyone that is not from you, reveal it to me now. Now I want you to take 30 seconds and I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. He may show you a picture of the person. He may just put the thought in your heart. Most cases, you already know who they are. And then you need to take care of that with the Lord today. He will help you do it.